Volume 1, Chapter 10 of Evelyn, or A Heart Unmasked, a novel by Anna Cora Mowat. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kelly Taylor. Chapter 10 Oh, the power of youth to feed on pleasant thoughts, spite of conviction. I am old and heartless. Yes, I am old. I have no pleasant fancies. The sober truth is all too much for me. Coleridge From the same to the same. December 27th The saddest moment of our life. The saddest, though unembittered by any positive sorrow. Ah, oh, Elizabeth, has thy heart never unquestioned whispered to thee thou canst know no sadder hour than this thus spoke mine when i first realized that the prismatic hues which tinted the lowliest objects in life were but the reflected brilliancy of a youthful imagination when i saw the roseate light of inexperience and hope that colored the present and veiled future gradually disappear and the gray mist of reality slowly spreading itself over the enchanted ground and thus spake my heart when with aching eyes i beheld charm by charm unwind that robed mine idol and i looked in vain for the virtues the noble attributes that i had worshipped as we can only worship that which is great and good change change there is nothing which strikes such a cold chill to my heart as the thought of change inward or outward for one brings the other i dread all change patient friend how can you pardon this long prelude which merely ushers in a very commonplace fact Fleecer's is decidedly the most conveniently located boarding-house in New York for those who desire to make any stay in the city. What then could be more natural than that Mr. Elton should have selected it for his residence? And what can be more natural than the change which time has wrought at once upon his mind and person? Again and again I ask myself, can that furrowed brow lined with the deep scars of passion care and disappointment have once been the smooth open front upon which my eyes delighted to dwell where is the resemblance in those thin compressed lips the bland smiling mouth indeliably pictured in my memory are those restless and sunken eyes the same that were once luminous with hope and radiant with love but these would be nothing were it not for the inward change of which they are but the signs mr elton had resided here several days before i learnt that he was a widower but the coveted wealth for which he had sold himself and bartered the happiness of one whom he had professed to hold dear is now wholly his that wealth has only purchased him fifteen years of misery, for so every lineament of his altered face proclaims. 
although the son of humble parents he was always ambitious and when he found that his prepossessing exterior and the remarkable endowments of his mind won him universal admiration that ambition became insatiable he had high aspirations he longed for he scarcely knew what in the political world and in the world of fashion he earnestly desired to hold a conspicuous position he wished to visit europe to become a patron of the arts and to enjoy all the advantages of a man of wealth this wealth he possessed not and without wanting the energy he lacked the industry and perseverance to acquire a fortune ambition had not at the age of twenty-five wholly closed his heart against softer emotions and association gives birth to affection he loved or thought he loved one in whose society his earliest years were passed and with whom his first joys were connected he loved and alas the love of such as he could not long be unreturned after a passing struggle between ambition and affection he was even betrothed to the object of his passion short was that betrothal and sad as short his hand had hardly been accepted when he became acquainted with a lady reputed to be an heiress who was making a transient sojourn in springfield she was neither young nor lovely nor but peace be with the dead what they were not we must pardon and none but god knows what they were almost from the moment that mr elton bay came acquainted with this lady his manner towards his affianced bride underwent a remarkable transition he lost the desire to please and she the power true he would have fulfilled his engagement he would never have forsaken her but his coldness and abstraction in her presence made her too keenly feel that vain it were that honour kept sacred the vow it early made or pity like a phantom wept o'er the dark urn where love was laid it was for her to sever the tie between them and she dissolved that cherished bond without a reproach but with a breaking heart and many a concealed pang he accepted his liberty and a few months brought the news of his marriage with miss r the young lady whose wealth first rendered him inconstant and the one whom he had forsaken did grief kill her no the branch that bends breaks not she bowed her heart full of sadness as it was to the will of heaven and lived on though life's golden light was shadowed she lived in sorrow but there was no bitterness in her grief for it was unmixed reproach she could no longer live for herself for her heart could know no second spring its withered flowers no annual bloom but she could live for others and her life was still though many thought it not a life of use elton through his short career has met with a continuous series of disappointment his projects have been defeated his health impaired and one drop of gall 
the memory of the past, has embittered the draught which, ere it was held to his lips, he thought was nectar. I am sure of this, though it has only been told to me by his countenance, not with his lips. His hand is once more free, and he is rich. The wealth for which he bartered his youth and peace of mind may now purchase him a young and lovely wife. But can happiness thus be bought? Enough. And too much of these sombre reflections, this grave retrospection. Every sigh should be followed by a smile. And if you have given the tribute of a sigh to the above little history, I shall crave a smile for what follows, while I relate to you our Christmas Eve amusement. I told you about ten or twelve days ago the project of giving a Christmas entertainment with Tableau Vivant first entered into Fair Evelyn's head. The idea once started, her energy of character would not permit it to be banished by the obstacles which she had to surmount. The difficulty of procuring suitable persons to assist in the representations, the trouble of preparing costumes, and the fatigue of superintending the whole arrangements she looked upon as follies, and these, like most troublesome undertakings, were but trifles to one who had the spirit and perseverance to render them such. We spent the afternoon and evening in discussing the tableau, and attempting to make a selection of striking scenes from the writings of celebrated authors. Mr. Merritt joined in the conversation and interested himself with our plans, although he positively resisted all Evelyn's urgent entreaties to take part in one of the pictures. The tone of his refusal seemed to say that he could not thus compromise his dignity, and argument was vain. On Colonel Damoreau's opportune appearance, our consultation soon gained new spirit. He had seen Tableau Vivant both in Europe and America, assured us that they were a fashionable amusement amongst the English nobility, and he was thoroughly initiated into all their mysteries. We listened to his explanation with the most flattering attention, and the colonel was suddenly placed on a footing quite as intimate as a long and tried friendship could have procured. He proposed that one tableau should represent a scene from Byron's Corsair, remarking that the oriental costume would be highly becoming to Evelyn as Gulnair, and that if they could find no worthier Conrad, he himself would personate the pirate chief. He might have added, what no doubt we all of us did mentally, that the dark and manly style of his beauty was particularly suited to the character. Evelyn instantly improved upon his proposition by suggesting that a series of tableaux from the Corsair might be successively represented, illustrative of the whole poem, and that the passages from which they were taken might be read aloud as the curtain rose. This suggestion met the general approval, but although I could not offer any reasonable objection to the whole proceeding, I did not exactly feel pleased. 
it is not that i do not admire the works of byron i admire them for their power their sublimity their earnestness and the intenseness of the passions they portray and yet i do not rise from their perusal better and happier and more elevated in spirit there is a touch of mildew on every leaf he weaves the poisonous nightshade into a garland of beauty and while the hues of the flowers dazzle the eye their breath contaminates the soul it was soon finally settled that the principal tableau represented should be a series from the corsair colonel damoreau was to personate conrad amy ewell medora evelyn golnaire and mr merritt after great persuasion and probably encouraged by colonel damoreau's example consented to enact the pasha i pass over the days of preparation the tireless activity with which evelyn daily proposed planned and executed and the frequent visits of colonel damoreau whose assistance we found invaluable the day before christmas came and ushered in a cloudless morning i had intended to devote that day entirely to my friends for i knew that my services would be in requisition i was however unavoidably detained and it was one o'clock before i reached union place i found evelyn almost too busy too animated and too excited to salute me how beautiful she looked hers is that rare beauty not dependent on the adventitious aid of dress but which becomes every garb in which she can robe herself i found her attired in a maroon-coloured merino wrapper and collar and cuffs of dark blue velvet her waist loosely girdled with a dark blue silk cord her luxuriant hair which inconvenienced her when it floated on her shoulders was carelessly gathered in one bright mass and knotted on the very top of her head and for further security a gay-coloured madras handkerchief was fastened over the imprisoned tresses and coquettishly tied beneath her rosy chin when i entered she had just completed the arrangement of the huge gilt picture frame which was erected on a platform directly in front of the folding doors she then carefully commenced covering the inside of the frame with several widths of black illusion lace neatly joined together this lace which is so thin as to be almost imperceptible gives a misty and unreal appearance to the figures grouped behind and by means of its elusive effect the tableau bears a strong resemblance to a painting mrs willard was suspending a curtain of flowered brocade between the doors and ellen who although she could not personate any character took an active interest in the preparations was sitting on a low stool counting over the passages which it was her duty to read as the curtain rose when evelyn had the arrangement of the lace she looked up at me and cried out come carissima don't stand there as an idle queen use your hands and use your feet use your head what are they all good for we are all of us using ours 
with these words she darted out of the room and throwing off my hat i followed her but not quickly enough to assist in carrying a large clothes horse which she was dragging into the parlour in vain i endeavoured to remonstrate and begged that she would permit the, her servants to bring in the other horses which were standing in the entry she replied that before her servants could answer the summons of the bell the horses would be in their appointed places and decorated with their necessary trappings in a second she was in the passage again but this time i was by her side we brought in the horses surrounded the frame with them covered them in the dark-coloured cloth cloaks which when hung in folds served as background of drapery and arranged the lights on a pair of ladder steps stationed on one side of the frame but dexterously concealed from the spectators on the other side we formed a door with one joint of the clothes horse to permit the entrance and exit of the characters the success of the tableau greatly depends upon the proper degree of light and shade and for this reason the light is only admitted on one side and the stronger from above than from beneath these arrangements were hardly concluded when colonel damoreau was announced what shall we do exclaimed mrs willard we are all in such a frightful dishabille we must beg him to excuse us no no answered evelyn quickly i will see him he may have some suggestion to make and away she ran without even disencumbering her head of the madras handkerchief or smoothing her disordered hair colonel damoreau's visit was rather longer than we could have desired but as it gave evelyn an opportunity of resting from her labours i did not regret his protracted stay a few moments after he took his leave mr merritt returned home and we were summoned to dinner for the first time in mr merritt's house we appeared in our morning dresses at dinner table we does not include mrs willard who had found or rather made leisure to attend to her toilette after dinner i endeavoured to persuade evelyn to lie down and rest for i knew that she must be too fatigued to sustain herself throughout the evening but she declared that she could not sleep nor even to keep quiet and perversely continued her employment the exhibition of the tableau was to commence at seven but the last finishing touches were not given to the toilettes of the performers until near eight mrs willard received the guest unassisted by mr merritt or evelyn who were both en costume in the back parlour precisely at eight o'clock a couple of servants entered the drawing-room one threw back the folding-doors thereby displaying the rich silk curtain hung between them while the other somewhat to the consternation of the company extinguished the lights a solitary candle which hardly made darkness visible was left burning at the furthest end of the apartment ellen and i had our duties amongst the performers and i think i may say that humble as they were we were both ambitious of excelling in their faithful discharge 
ellen was seated on the right of the curtain where she could remain concealed from the spectators she held a volume of byron in one hand and the cord of the curtain in the other i stood on the left with a small bell in mine which was to be sounded as a signal for the curtain to rise and again when it should fall to decide upon the exact moment when the tableau was becoming so lifelike that it must be hidden from the admiring gaze of the spectator required some judgment it was necessary for me to keep my eyes intently fixed upon the performers and to mark the least tremulous motion of their limbs the lightest quivering of the lips or movement of the eyes and at these indications of weariness to give ellen the signal which lowered the curtain and now for the first tableau a soft and melancholy air aroused the attention of the assembled guest it ceased and the silvery-toned bell which had been placed in my trembling hands was gently sounded the curtain moved shook and as though unwilling to be disturbed slowly rose and gradually disclosed the exquisite most lifelike and yet most picture-like picture which its folds had concealed when it had risen to its utmost height the first murmured burst of admiration was hushed a low and tremulous though unusually distinct voice which i could hardly recognize as ellen's read aloud the following explicative passage from the corsair conrad's parting with medora she rose she sprung she clung to his embrace till his heart heaved beneath her hidden face he dared not rise to his that deep blue eye which downcast droop in tearless agony her long fair hair lay floating o'er his arms in all the wildness of dishevelled charms scarce beat that bosom where his image dwelt so full that feeling seemed almost unfelt hark peals the thunder of the signal gun it told twas sunset and he cursed that sun again again that form he madly pressed which mutually clasped imploringly caressed and tottering to the couch his child he bore one moment gazed as if to gaze no more felt that for him earth held but her alone kissed her cold forehead turned is conrad gone how can i give you any adequate conception of the tableau of which these lines were descriptive imperfect as i feel my attempt will be i must endeavour to convey some faint idea of grace and beauty which are indescribable the curtain as it rose displayed medora amy ewell half springing from the couch where conrad had placed her one hand by which she supported herself was partially concealed by the swelling of the rich orange-hued cushion upon which it pressed the other was stretched out imploringly towards the departing conrad her features expressed the most feminine helplessness of grief and her very position bespoke the approach of despair the guitar 
which she had touched in his absence lay neglected at her feet her long fair hair wholly unbound stole in loose and waving ringlets from beneath a small greek cap of blue velvet and silver fitting closely to her head and secured by a string of pearls that bound her pure brow over a transparent robe embroidered in silk stars she wore an open tunic of pale blue silk fringed with silver and confined at the waist by a girdle of pearls the drapery that half veiled her arms was peculiarly graceful from beneath the flowing blue silk sleeve looped on her shoulder with a band of pearls floated a thin white one starred with silver and falling in shining folds far below her waist her full white trousers almost concealed the slender feet encased in slippers of blue velvet wrought with silver which peeped out from beneath them her whole costume was indicative of the womanly chasteness of her character i gazed upon this lovely being who seemed as though in the midst of her grief she had been prettified to a statue so perfect was the illusion that i forgot amy elwell's existence and could only feel that it was medora before me conrad was standing at the foot of her couch in the act of retreating but with his face turned back to the last longing look of pitying and admiring affection well had colonel damoreau been chosen to represent conrad his hair of midnight blackness not fine but glossy and curling in close round rings about his broad and sunburnt forehead the heavy but well delineated eyebrows that gave at all times an expression of fierceness to his brilliantly dark eyes those eyes which were at the same instant full of fire and of softness the ruddy parted lips at one moment bland almost to voluptuousness and at the next compressed with a firmness that bespoke the determination of his character his imposing mien and commanding air all these were conrad's own as my eyes rested upon him i involuntarily repeated to myself he sways their souls with that commanding art which dazzles leads yet chills the vulgar heart his pirate costume was strictly correct the rich green vest tightly buttoned over his expansive chest the graceful capote of green velvet that covered his head the candote cloak of fine white wool lined with scarlet that fell from his drooping shoulders the broad red band studded with weapons that encompassed his waist were all calculated to heighten the graces of his person while this living picture was still before the wondering eyes of the spectators a profound silence reigned throughout the apartment with intense anxiety i watched the statue-like pirate and his lovely bride not a muscle of his limbs or features moved not even his eyelids quivered but i thought that the arm which medora extended towards him slightly trembled before i could be positive of this a nervous motion of her lips was plainly visible 
provoked at my own hesitation i vehemently shook the little bell and in a second the curtain descended and conrad and medora had disappeared then broke forth one rapturous burst of applause not merely noisy but warm and sincere it was interrupted but not wholly silenced by a strain of lively music which sounded from invisible musicians if i may judge from my own feelings that unexpected melody prolonged the emotions which the tableau had awakened at my signal the music suddenly ceased the little bell sounded a deep silence ensued and again the curtain slowly rose and discovered the seyed gorgeously attired reclining luxuriously upon a silken couch which was slightly elevated above the seats on either side of him the heavy turban cloth of gold glittered with jewels the flowing beard and dark moustache so altered his appearance that i scarcely recognized mr merritt i know not whether it was the effect of the long bright coloured tunic the full turkish trousers the slippers on his feet the shibouk in his mouth but there was something particularly effeminate about his appearance his features naturally small now looked more diminutive and though his face had never struck me as so handsome as now its style was too womanish to win a woman's admiration on either side of him sat a couple of chiefs in oriental garb with long beards pending from their chins and longer shibuks between their teeth on the right stood a slave reverentially ushering in a seeming dervise the arms of the dervise were folded over his breast with quiet dignity his noble form was erect although his head was slightly bent as if in forced humility his loose robe of a dark hue was closely wrapped about him and on his head he wore a lofty cap peculiar to his sect again ellen's voice was heard and this time its tone was firmer and clearer the devise high in his hall reclined the turban said around the bearded chiefs he came to lead with cautious reverence from the outer gate slow stalks the slave whose office there to wait bows his bent head his head salutes the floor ere yet his tongue the trusted tidings bore a captive devise from the pirate's nest escaped is here himself would tell the rest he took the sign from Sayed's assenting eye and led the holy man in silence nigh his arms were folded on his dark green vest his step was feeble and his look depressed yet worn he seemed by hardships more than years and his pale cheek from penance not from fears it was several more minutes before the curtain fell and then the spectators once more loudly expressed their delight until a burst of martial music drowned the applause after a shorter interval than before the music ceased and the curtain rose suddenly and rapidly the seyed is starting terror-stricken from his seat 
and both hands grasp his scimitar the chiefs are already on their feet with weapons drawn the slave is crouching on the ground in cowardly fear the dervise stands menacingly before them his robe is torn away and cast on the ground his high cap lies beside it his head is covered with a glittering cask and the sable plume floats darkly over his shoulder one hand which holds a bugle is pressed against his mailed breast the other waves a flashing sabre in fierce defiance over his head the following is the passage which ellen read and the spirited and varied intonations of her voice conveyed the full meaning of the words conrad undisguised up rose the devise with that burst of light nor less his charge of form appalled of the sight up rose the devise not in saintly garb but like a warrior bounding on his barb dashed his high cap and tore his robe away shone his mailed breast and flashed his sabre's ray his close but glittering cask and sable plume more glittering eye and a black brow's sabler gloom glared on the moslem's eyes some affright sprite whose demon death-blow left no hope for fight the curtain fell and the martial music grew louder and more warlike than before once again it ceased and again the curtain ascended neither as rapidly nor as slowly as hitherto-fore what a tableau how exquisite how thrilling how almost fearful ellen read conrad's rescue of Golnair. quick at the word they seized him at a torch fire the dome with minaret to porch a stern delight was fixed in conrad's eye but sudden sunk for on his ear the cry of women struck like a deadly knell knocked at the heart unmoved by battle's yell oh burst the harem wrong not your lives one female form remember we have wives but who is she whom conrad's arms convey from the reeking pile and combats wreck away who but the love of him he dooms to bleed the harem queen but still the slave of said the canvas or rather the seeming canvas displayed but three figures conrad in the act of flight bore the beauteous gulnare in one arm and with the other valiantly defended himself against the turk who pursued him gulnare her large dark blue eyes dilated with terror clung for protection to conrad's shoulder till her blushing cheek lightly pressed against his armour i have often acknowledged the high order of evelyn's charms but i have never before conceived her to be so transcendently so superbly beautiful a splendid turban of emerald green and crimson interwoven with bands of gold encircled her transparent forehead a crescent of diamonds fastened to the turban's folds her hair was entirely concealed except one shining tress that waved about each temple and a stray ringlet that stealthily swept her shoulder 
her under robe of gauze of gold which reached halfway below her knees shone where the light fell upon it like a web of woven sunbeams over this robe and somewhat shorter she wore a crimson cashmere tunic embroidered with leaves that seemed formed of emeralds this tunic which was open disclosed a green velvet vest fitting closely to her rounded form and buttoned with diamonds over her bosom the loose drapery of her sleeves concealed but a small portion of her beautifully moulded and jewelled arms her white trousers were confined by a golden band and their folds gathered together and fastened on the very centre of either delicate ankle by a diamond crescent similar to the one in her turban thus not an outline of her miniature feet with their crimson slippers pointed on the instep was concealed her costume was completed by a cashmere scarf loosely wound around her pliant waist so painfully intense was the pleasure or rather the admiration which this tableau excited in me that i quite forgot my duty as bell-ringer i know not how long i might have stood gazing in mute astonishment had not the sigh of some full breast near me and a cold hand laid unconsciously on my arm aroused me i turned my eyes away from the fascinating picture and beheld mr merritt he was still robed in his pasha costume and had concealed himself by my side to obtain a more view of the tableau is she not is she not too angelic exclaimed he with rapturous emotion i made no answer for i saw that it was time for the bell to give its signal the curtain descended but my ear caught the sound of more than one half-suppressed exclamation of not yet not yet as it fell several moments passed before the applause which succeeded all other tableaux was awarded to this an evidence that the spectators were too deeply impressed to demonstrate their delight when at last the silence was broken it was succeeded by ejaculations of pleasure rather than by noisy approval once more the music greeted our ears but this time the strain was low and mournful once more the curtain gradually and noiselessly ascended and ellen in a subdued tone as though she were afraid of breaking the pirate's slumber read gulnare's visit to the dungeon he slept in calmest seeming for his breath was hushed so deep ah happy if in death he slept who o'er his placid slumber bends his foes are gone and here he hath no friends is some seraph sent to grant him grace no tis an earthly form but heavenly face its white arm raised a lamp yet gently hid lest the ray fall abruptly on the lid of that close eye which opens but to pain and once unclosed but once may close again that form with eye so dark and cheek so fair and auburn waves of gemmed and braided hair with shape of fairy brightness naked foot that shines like snow and falls on earth as mute 
through guards and dunnest night how came it there ah rather ask what will not woman dare whom youth and pity lead like thee guldare conrad lay slumbering upon his straw pallet his manly features were beautifully calm and a half smile unbent his brow and played about his lips his head was uncovered and his shining casque lay near him the chain which manacled his wrist glittered in the strong light and in his sleep he unconsciously grasped its heavy links stealthily bending over him and bearing in one hand a lamp which she shaded with the other stood Golnare. she no longer wore her turban and the rich tresses of her refulgent hair partly in ringlets and partly in braids intermingled with jewels floated almost to her knees her perfect form was enveloped in a loose white robe and her neck hardly less snowy her rounded shoulders and graceful arms were completely bare her beautiful eyes grown softer than before shone through a pearly luster and the expression of her face denoted grief gratitude and pity mingled with a tender feeling the curtain fell and the vision disappeared for a vision it seemed to our eyes too beautiful to be real solemn and mournful were the notes to which we now listened and slowly rose the curtain upon which every gaze was fixed ellen read medora in conrad's absence the sun hath sunk and darker than the night sinks with its beam upon the beacon's height medora's heart the third day's come and gone and with it he comes not sends not faithless one the night breeze freshens she that day had passed in watching all that hope proclaimed amassed medora sat in sadness and solitude her cheek resting on her clasped hands and her loving blue eyes eagerly strained to catch some object in the distance her look was anxious but gentle full of fear yet hopeful sorrowful but patient we could not gaze too long upon this picture for its soft grace and still beauty were a relief to the heart and eye after the more impassioned and thrilling scenes by which it had been preceded the curtain descended and the fair medora was hidden from our view but so real seemed her existence that her appearance drew forth murmured and involuntary expressions of commiseration rather than loud applause the music grew bold and almost martial and the scene was changed we beheld conrad in his dungeon his look was solemn and even stern and his arms were folded as we had seen them before over his breast but even more firmly Golnare stood beside him with one hand she presented him a dagger and with the other commandingly motioned him to follow her her lip was proudly curled and her eye flashed with a fierce unnatural almost fiendish light i was startled i would not have believed that evelyn's face could have expressed such concentrated exulting hate such determined revenge ellen read Golnare's second visit to the dungeon o'er thine and o'er my head hangs the keen sabre by a single thread 
if thou hast courage still and wouldst be free receive this poignard rise and follow me it was a relief to my eyes when the curtain fell i felt a strange sensation of terror an indefinable dread of i knew not what could evelyn have so perfectly portrayed these passions if she were incapable of feeling them in a few moments which seemed an age the picture was hidden from our view a melodious and serenade-like air which ensued calmed my feelings when the curtain rose again gulner with hands fervently clasped and her tearful eyes raised supplicatingly to conrad's face was kneeling before him passion and despair breathed from her countenance and every vestige of unwomanly fierceness was gone conrad's arms were half extended towards her and pity with which he viewed her humbled condition seemed not unmingled with a stronger and softer emotion these were the lines that ellen read in an impassioned tone Golnair's entreaty that strange fierceness foreign to her eye fell quenched in tears too late to shed or dry she knelt beside him and his hand she pressed thou mayest forgive through allah's self detest but for that deed of darkness what were thou reproach me but not yet oh spare me now long very long we gazed upon this vision-like tableau but it faded at last once more but more slowly than ever before the curtain rose and ellen with much more feeling read the following passage the death of medora his steps the chamber gain his eyes behold all that his heart believed not yet foretold he turned not spoke not sunk not fixed his look and set the anxious frame that lately shook he gazed how long we gaze despite of pain and know but dare not own we gaze in vain in life itself she was so still and fair that death with gentler aspect withered there and the coal flowers her colder hand contained in the last grasp and tenderly were strained as if she scarcely felt but feigned a sleep and made it almost mockery yet to weep medora lay extended on a bier her fragile form loosely wrapped in the snowy shroud her hands one of which held a sprig of white roses folded on her bosom her sunny hair uncurled was carefully smoothed over her pale cheeks and extended below her waist a chaplet of white roses half blown encircled her brow her eyes were only partly closed and a smile seemed hovering about her lips over her bent conrad horror strongly depicted on his countenance but his eyes muscles limbs all fixed in the stern endurance of self-control the fearful composure of despair the picture vanished and in due time was succeeded by others of a lively nature but hardly less perfectly represented they were principally illustrative of scenes from the pickwick papers and nicholas nickleby but my interest was gone i was abstracted i could not rouse myself the new and startling expressions which i had seen portrayed on evelyn's face constantly rose before me 
the voluptuous tenderness of her eyes in her last scene haunted me and unfortunately she did not appear in any of the succeeding pictures to banish the impression i performed my duty of bell-ringer mechanically and when i was informed that the representations were at an end i could not have told what the passages the three or four last tableaux were intended to represent i had an indistinct recollection of having been disagreeably affected by the sound of prolonged laughter the clapping of hands and remembered to have seen some fantastic-looking figures in ludicrous postures but that was all i joined the company and did not see evelyn again until she entered the drawing-room and mingled with her guest the simplicity of her dress strongly contrasted with the gorgeous oriental costume which she had so lately worn she was attired in a pale peach-blossom silk unadorned and fitted admirably to her symmetrical form her white and polished neck was uncovered and the short tight sleeves reaching half-way to her dimpled elbow left her arms almost bare in her hair which was loosely knotted at the back of her head and fell in thick rich curls over a silver comb she wore a single rose like herself just blushingly bursting into beauty she was more striking in her eastern garb more dazzling but softer more alluring more lovable in this i preferred her in the latter attire for some minutes i watched her as she gracefully moved amongst her guests and rejoiced to behold her so calm and gentle attention was then diverted by some object and i lost sight of her until i accidentally found myself standing directly behind mr merritt and laura hilson unavoidably i overheard the following conversation which took place between them why did you refuse to take any part in the performance miss laura inquired mr merritt excuse me if i answer you candidly replied miss hilson with an air of sincerity i am no prude i do not wish to be considered one but i cannot entirely approve of the relationship in which a young and modest woman may be placed in these tableaux towards a young man such situations may be productive of evil consequences and then the ostensible object of these tableaux is to display one's personal charms and that is revolting to my feelings mr merritt's brow slightly contracted and i saw that the arrow which this wily girl had artfully shot was already rankling in his heart i was about to change my position when i beheld her lightly touch mr merritt's arm with her fan and heard her whisper in a lively but malicious tone look conrad is determined to consider medora virtually dead and devotes himself entirely to fascinating gulnare and she never forgetting that she has killed her lord and master the pasha feels at liberty to receive and return his homage how admirably they play their parts doubtless they have so far lost their own identity in the characters of the fair slave and fascinating pirate that they do not remember that the representation is at an end i looked in the direction towards which laura had turned her eyes and beheld colonel damero standing beside evelyn with the rose which had lately graced her hair in his hand 
it had probably fallen to the ground and from his action i imagined that he was entreating her to permit him to keep the flower she held out her hand to receive the rose and i watched her with tremulous anxiety to discover whether she would insist on his returning the token he whispered a few words she smiled blushed drew back her hand and colonel damoreau tenderly laid the withering flower between the leaves of his pocket-book i turned to mr merritt his countenance was blanched his eyes flashed the demon of jealousy was roused in his bosom and struggled fiercely with his affection he dared not approach evelyn his fear of becoming ridiculous withheld him he dared not by words betray his emotion even to laura he could only suffer and madden with the thick crowding fancies that thronged his brain and laura the usually bold expression of her eyes grew bolder and more triumphant i shrank from her look and hurried towards evelyn before i reached her she had taken colonel damoreau's arm and was led to the head of a cotillion which was just forming i remained as near her as possible when the cotillion closed miss hilson whispered a few hasty words to the musician near whom she was standing and they instantly commenced playing one of the strauss waltzes in the next moment laura was at evelyn's side and i heard her exclaim why does not anyone waltz you waltz evelyn dearest do you not with me i hope replied colonel damoreau in a low and entreating tone which seemed to say that she would afford him inexpressible happiness by an affirmative answer ah oh, that evelyn could have possessed the talismanic bracelets of a caliph solomon which apprised their owner of the approach of danger why did no good spirit give her an instinctive perception of the evil influence that encompassed her and did it not the guardian angel's warning voice was drowned by the wild strain of pleasure the angel spoke but she heard not its tone the glance which i gave her was useless or unnoticed evelyn placed her hand in that of the colonel his arm lightly encircled her waist and in another instant they were floating together in undulating circles around the apartment keeping time to the music not with their feet only but with the movement of every limb and the throbbing of every pulse i looked in vain for mr merritt neither he nor laura was visible yet i was certain that he saw and felt felt too much for i knew that his designing tormentor was by his side end of chapter ten